podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Our special guest of the week, Joe Foster, will be joining us in just a moment. Our very special guest co-host. We do that because you want to make them feel good because of the prices we pay. Tim Swartz is back with us this week. And last week, we had John LeMay on the show, uh, author of many books, but also is interested in genre films. And we got to talking on our premium show, especially on After the Paracast or Premium Show. That's a show that you get if you join the Paracast Plus at the Paracast.plus. And I was surprised in the responses we got in the forums how many people really dig those monster movies. You know, right, Tim? I mean, I always thought there couldn't be anything special because they really don't have much in the way of special effects. It's not like Peter Jackson's doing the film or something. I mean, you have situations there where, literally speaking, they will have a guy wearing a gorilla suit or a monster suit prancing around the soundstage. Why are people so interested in that? Oh, I don't know. I think it's because that uh, a lot of us... Our first exposure to those kind of films was when we were kids, you know, watching, you know, when television used to uh, uh, run like on the weekends or late at night, uh, you know, Godzilla films and the rest of them. So uh, it's it's just something that, uh, you know, we enjoyed as a kid and it just sticks with us. Our special guest this week, Joe Foster. Are you interested in monster films at all? Oh, absolutely, Gene. <laughs> Love monster films. <laughs> what is your favorite? It's got to be Horrors of Dracula with Bela Lugosi. Ooh, it goes boy. back a ways, but that was classic. Well, the thing, of course, here is that we were thinking not so much of Frankenstein, Dracula, but Godzilla and King Kong and stuff like that. Okay, well, the real thing might be out there. Who knows? <laughs> well, you know, some of them may be living in Washington, D.C. We hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are dinosaurs, but that's another story. <laughs> we don't want to get into that. No, we, we try not to do politics on this show. We do right. get into it to some degree, Joe, when we talk about UFOs and what the government is doing, especially now where we've got these various organizations within the government with acronyms that you can't even begin to remember or spell or pronounce. But at least they're taking it seriously, we hope. But according to your bio, Joe, you have been an experiencer of sorts since what? When you were three years old or something like that? Yeah, actually, three years old is the first experience that I remember vividly. It happened, uh, it was in my crib. I was wide awake. My, both my parents were sound asleep. And the event took place uh, for about 15, 10 or 15 seconds. And uh, there was this hideous creature seemingly hanging over the railing of my crib. And uh, very scary. Okay, and uh, well, anyway, this hideous creature seemed to be hanging over the railing of my crib. I was standing at the headboard, which was furthest away from my parents' bed. Of course, the baseboard was against my parents' bed at the foot of the bed. It was on my mother's side. And I remember just standing there, staring at this creature, 
and the creature is st- standing there staring back at me. Uh, but there was absolutely no emotion by either myself or the creature. And that lasted maybe 10 or 15 seconds. The next thing, I must have gone right to sleep because I don't remember another thing after that. That was my first experience. And I guess that's also what gave me an interest in creatures and an aversion to things that look like crabs. Hey, so anyway, uh, that, that was the, the Genesis story. But there were other stories along the way as well, three of which were all while I was in the service. Um, those I consider probably some of the most interesting because of the uh, the format that I had seen these things in and also within the space and time of what was reported or what wasn't reported. Uh, but there was also one other uh, experience before I went in the service. I was, I was about 10. Uh, that was a unique one. Uh, but they all, after that, going forward, they seem to all have a, a theme, and the theme definitely had something to do with military and weapons. So anyway, I digress. Uh, back to the monster, the monster issue. Of course, uh, Godzilla and uh, King Kong and those type of uh, monsters never really held that much uh, interest for me. However, with that being said, being uh, that the ocean is, you know, two-thirds of the world Earth is covered by the ocean, and the report of sea monsters and, and such have been going on since the beginning of time, so who knows? Well, I'm interested in the uh, d- description. Do you remember what this thing, when you were three years old, what it uh, what it looked like? Yeah, it was, it was very, very odd. It was almost like clown-like. Hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it, the the head uh, it was a small creature. I can't say how big it was, because it, it, it seemed to be leaning over a little bit into the crib. Um, but the head was definitely it, it was a clown. It was a clown's head, but it was absolutely real. And like I said, if it was something that you would see normally, you would expect to be frightened out of your mind. This one did not elicit any any sense of fear whatsoever, and even the sense of curiosity was minimal. It was just a question of responding to it, looking at it, and accepting that it was there on my part. On its part, it seemed just to be interested in staring at me, you know, and where I was at the headboard. Uh, but other than that, it, it, it was almost surrealistic. It was not a nightmare. That I'm 99% sure of. It was years later that I actually talked to my parents about it and asked them. I described the room, first of all, being actually wasn't even quite three at the time. uh, But I was able to describe the room in great detail, including the the placement of furniture and uh, the color of the room, the placement of the windows. And even the estimate of time when it took place was probably about two or three o'clock in the morning. Mm. Now, don't ask me how, other than the fact that both my parents were sound asleep and they never woke up throughout the entire thing, which I found mildly curious. I mean, I thought if I saw it, why, why didn't my mother see it? So then that's, a, that's about as much as I can tell you about it. Other than I, years later, I did draw a three, made a, isometric drawing 
of the bedroom, uh, like a, an amateur would. And uh, that's what uh, my parents both validated. That's exactly what the room looked like. It was on a farm. We, we lived, um, spent the first eight years, 10 years of my life on a farm. And this was a farm out in East Hampton, out on Long, Long Island. And it backed up to a, a pasture. And just on the other side of the pasture was the Long Island Railroad. On the other side of that was a couple of miles of pretty much nothing but woods and, and fields. So it was a kind of an isolated area just on the outskirts of the town of East Hampton, which in itself is kind of interesting because there's a lot of strange creatures that have been there for years as well. It has been maybe 40 years or 45 years since the last time I took the Long Island Railroad. Okay. How far out did you go? Mostly I lived in the Little Neck area. So I take the train to Little Neck, which, of course, is like, what, halfway through the route. So it wasn't such a big deal. But that was my route from my home in Little Neck to Midtown. We've got more to come. Joe Foster, UFO researcher, experiencer, with our special guest co-host, Tim Swartz. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Have you ever thought about turning your Glock, XD family, or 1911 handgun into a semi-automatic carbine? 
It only takes about 30 seconds. The MacTech carbine upper is classified as an accessory and can be delivered right to your doorstep with no FFL or background check required. It's the world's most versatile pistol accessory. Build your custom upper today. Simply go to handgunconversion.com. That's handgunconversion.com. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll-free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy, says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Joe Foster telling us about experiences when he was a young child. Now, when someone is like three years old, I guess the thing here mm-hmm. one wonders about is that how does one even remember something when they were that young? That's an excellent question. I'm not exactly sure of the answer. Other than, you know, from two two on, you might have brief recollections of various points, which I do have, probably starting when I was about two, two and a half. But again, it's, you know, it's the, the memory of, of a child, you know, seeing through child's eyes for the most part. But that cribbing experience was, uh, to me, it was very unique and it always will be. Only because I know that I wasn't asleep and I know that I wasn't afraid. And I should have been afraid and, you know, I should have at least remember waking up the next morning, which I had no, had no recollection of that. So the, whatever the extraordinary aspect was, it was a 10 or 15 second period. And that was pretty easy to remember. I mean, uh, just standing there, staring, slight movement, and that was basically it. And then it was over. There wasn't a situation there where you physically couldn't move when it happened? No, no, I, no, I don't remember anything like that. All I remember is being awake once. It's kind of like going under anesthesia. You know, you count backwards from 100, and by the time you get to 95, you're zonked. You're, you're totally out. You don't have any, no dreaming, no recollection. No, you know, it, it's, you're totally gone. And that's the only way that I could describe it. I was wide awake one second, then nothing. 
and not remembering morning when I got up or anything like that. So, you know, so it wasn't like a dream that just kind of hang, hung with me. It was there and then it was gone. But the long-term memory uh, remained as vivid as if it was yesterday. It was in Technicolor. I mean, everything I remember seeing, even the, I can see my crib as if it was yesterday, the color of the crib, stencils that were on it, you know, all that stuff is remembered. And why part of it is and the other part isn't, I can't really, I can't say why, other than that's the way it is. What did your parents have to say about all this? Well, years later, I I never really related it to them until years later. And at that time, uh, they, you know, there was too much, too much time removed. I don't think either of them had any real uh, sense one way or the other, other than the fact that they were asleep and I wasn't asleep. It could have been a nightmare or, or, or whatever. But they never got into the aspect of it that it might have been something other than a normal child's uh, you know, uh, experience. So. I don't know. I mean, I explained to them what I saw, what I thought maybe it was, but you know, it, it was a different different reference points for all of us. I'm kind of wondering here about whether they might have thought you were dreaming or something, and that would be their reaction. Well, I think that would be the normal reaction for just about anybody, especially if you didn't experience it yourself, and you hear about it years later. Oh, you just had a nightmare. But it wasn't. I, I can assure you it was not that. You know, that I would stake my life on. Let's go briefly through your other experiences through the years, because certainly the first one sounds compelling, if nothing else, even if we mm-hmm. all can't figure out what really might have happened. But what about other experiences you've had through the years? Well, the next experience I had was probably about three years later. We're still out. We're still living out on the island, and uh, we went to a, br- a brand new, uh, an opening of a brand new drive-in movie theater in Bridgehampton, which is a couple miles up the road from East Hampton, of course. And um, <laughs> interestingly, I believe the movie that I saw at that time uh, was uh, Horrors of Dracula. Now, at this time, I was no longer the only child. I had a young sister. That was probably about a year or two old herself. And uh, we were sitting at the drive-in there right off of the old 27, the old Montauk Highway. And we're facing generally in the westerly direction towards Hampton Bays and Southampton and Brookhaven and so on. We were about 30 miles or so away from Brookhaven. And I bring this up for a very specific reason. Uh, Brookhaven is a very... uh, as you probably know, a very interesting place in of itself. But anyway, we were at the drive-in movie theater this this night, and my sister and I were sitting in the front seat, and my parents, of course, were in the back seat, and we're watching the show. And all of a sudden, at the top of the top of the screen, and we weren't too far back; we were maybe ten rows back from the screen itself. But on the top of the screen, maybe. 15 or 20 degrees above the screen, there was this very, very bright white light. And it just appeared. And then it made 
three zigzagging moves, high rate of speed, but it was discernible. You you could see it with the naked eye, and it disappeared behind the screen. But it was right angle, three right angle moves in a zigzag fashion. Now that, of course, we're facing to the west, and this is around 1954, 50, 54, maybe, and. Um, that was that stuck in my mind, but I also knew that was and it was extraordinary. Even at the age that I was, it was an extraordinary event. It was not an aircraft like anything I had ever seen before. It wasn't. Also, I didn't think it was anything other than that. Even though we didn't know a heck of a lot about, you know, meteors and you know, astronomical uh, things, but that was uh, again very unique. And years later. Uh, of course, there were the descriptions of UFOs making those type of high-speed, right-angle, zigzagging-type moves that the G-forces would have turned any living thing into a puddle under our normal uh, state of physics, uh, physics as we understand them. So now also looking in the direction, there has always been a lot of UFO activity out there on the island, uh, as you're probably aware of yourself with uh, reported crashes, and of course Camp Hero being another 19 or 20 miles further out on the island. A lot of interesting things. And of course, Brookhaven doing early work on, you know, part of the Manhattan Project. Also early work with particle particle beam or particle experimentation. It's not surprising that there may have been something there uh, at that time that was paying close attention to, you know, the military aspect or the weapons-related research that was going on. So, but that was a, that was very, very uh, specific. Didn't last long. None of these last all that long. Of course, we didn't have cameras or anything handy at that time. So getting a picture of it, you just got a bright white light. But it's the way that light reacted uh, or the motion that it had. It's quite unique. What is also quite unique is the break we're going to take. Joe Foster joins us a lifetime of strange encounters. With Gene and Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com.
USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. President Biden promising full federal support to six states hit hard by a deadly tornado outbreak, which may have been one of the largest such outbreaks in U.S. history. The president asking the FEMA chief to provide whatever help states need. And Kentucky needs a lot of help, according to the governor, Andy Bashir. We will rebuild. Uh, we are strong, resilient people. Governor Bashir saying the death toll in his state could reach around 100 alone. At least six people are confirmed dead now at an Illinois Amazon warehouse after it collapsed during one of the tornadoes. But search and rescue operations for those still unaccounted for continue at the scene. John Griffin, a longtime CNN producer facing multiple charges for allegedly luring underage girls to his Vermont ski home for, quote, sexual subservience training. This is USA Radio News. It was the annual Army-Navy football game on Saturday, and Navy stunned Army in its 17-13 in the showdown at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Today, whether they cheer for Army or cheer for Navy, we ask that they would all soon come safely home. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. The U.S. Navy Academy honored a fallen SEAL team commander during the game. Commander Brian Bourgeois was injured during a training exercise in Virginia last weekend and died of his wounds on Tuesday. When the Navy midshipmen took to the field carrying the American Navy and Marine Corps flags, one player carried a SEAL Team 8 flag to honor the 2001 grad who was a four-year member of the Navy football team himself. And you're listening to USA Radio News. For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately, I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about four months, and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Tormay, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Tim Swartz is our guest co-host, Joe Foster, our guest. Before Joe continues, Tim, did you have a few questions you want to raise first? Well, as Joe said, you know, Long Island has been such a hotbed of UFO and, and other high weirdness activity over the years. You look at, say, John Keel's writings and all the uh, weird stuff that, that he ran across. So Joe's experience, really, I mean, I'm surprised that everybody who's lived on Long Island doesn't have uh, some kind of a bizarre story to remember. I guess there's a lot of people do that just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's still the, the stigma. 
the, you know, the other aspect, you know, the event that you had when you were young, over the years, I have talked to so many people who have had a lifetime of unusual experiences, and they generally always start, and maybe it's just because that's when really your memories stick, you know, in your head at around the age of, of three. Uh, but so many people, I mean, their first experiences happen, and it's usually a nighttime uh, encounter that uh, involves, you know, like bright lights or, or, you know, unusual creatures. And Gene had asked earlier about why you think that you remember that. And I think, you know, how could you not? You know, even at that age, you know when something really weird is happening in your room. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Uh, that is definitely true. Uh, that's right. To me, it's not extraordinary that I did remember it. The only thing that's extraordinary is trying to figure out exactly what it was and why it happened and, you know, to what the ultimate purpose was. That I have no clue of. I mean, it was it was obvious that it was a home invasion type experience, whether it really existed or not. I really can't say for sure. And I was too young to really make that type of determination, you know, do a scientific follow up on it, if you will. But it was something that I definitely believe happened, at least to a point where, you know, I have that that recollection and the overall sense being uh, of what it, what it seemed to have been. Well, now, looking at your notes and things, uh, Joe, didn't you also have a, a, a crop circle pop up uh, on your property? Yeah, int- okay, now, interesting. Now, this is where, to me, the, the sightings and events are all well and good, but if the, the, the fact of the matter is that if you take the time and have the time, or the opportunity, then you might find that there's a synchronicity to all of these, that you know, there's more than just that one event. Mm-hmm. The crop circle event actually was kind of an interesting one in the sense that you have to go to my third UFO sighting, which took place in 1958. Now, this is uh, my sighting at that time. We were living on a farm, no longer out on the island, but now we're in Monmouth County, which is central New Jersey. And we're living in a, the farm is a very interesting farm. It's about 360 acres. And it belonged to a gentleman that, um, he was a gentleman farmer. And his name was Rosenberg. And uh, he owned all the Miles shoe stores, as well as all the Atomic and shoe stores. So he had probably about sixteen or 1,700 shoe stores across the nation. Very pleasant man, and he was uh, very approachable, and you know he always treated the people that lived on his farm very well. Anyway, the farm uh, backs up to what is known as the Navy Road or Normandy Road, uh, which uh, links a naval ammunition depot located in Colts Neck, New Jersey, with a its pier facilities about 13.2 miles to the north right on Raritan Bay or New York Harbor, if you will. And that Navy road consists of a two-lane highway as well as a two-track private rail line. And, of course, it was built during World War II, and it was to store and move ammunition to and from the fleet, which it does even to this day. Well, anyway, that Navy road had about four or five crossing points between 
between those 13.2 miles. And whenever interesting munitions were being moved from the depot to the pier or from the pier to the depot, if they were interesting, like nuclear munitions, they would have a squad of armed Marines that would escort the truck or the train, and they would stop traffic at each of the crossing points until it got to the destination. Now, in 1958, July of 1958, was my only real experience with a UFO and that Navy road. It was a daylight sphere that was flying, maybe heading from the pier facility from the north, heading on a southerly direction towards where the storage bunkers were. And it was about maybe two, 300 feet off the ground, and it was a silver sphere. But it also is interesting because like none other report that I had ever seen, it had red and white flashing lights all around it, but not attached to it. It was very bizarre. Never heard anything about it before or after. But it was lazily flying along that along that roadway. That was in 1958. Now, I'm going to tie in a couple of other things. Again, this has to do with what I believe is the synchronicity of events that are all linked one way or the other to the UFO phenomenon. In May of 1958, outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland, uh, actually only Durwood, Maryland, there was a Nike Ajax battery known as Whiskey 93, and it had eight or 16 Nike Ajax missiles, conventional warhead, two-stage, first-generation surface-to-air missile designed to shoot down Soviet bombers. Between Whiskey 93 and Whiskey 94, which was loaded in Gaithersburg, Maryland, they had UFO sightings over a two-week period, ending with a crash landing of one of these vehicles and it took off, but it left behind some radioactive debris. This was all reported by an Army radar operator, a gentleman named Harlan Bentley, as part of the disclosure project. Just came across this not too long ago, a couple of years ago. Now, in May of 1958, alongside the Navy Road that I live next to, there was another Nike HX site about three or four miles up the road closer to the pier facility. And at that site, they had a major explosion. The entire battery blew up. And it was the worst accident in Nike Ajax history. Ten men were killed, six soldiers and four DOD civilians. They were doing a safety upgrade to one of the missiles, but I don't know of anybody that would work on a fully fueled, fully armed missile with power tools. And it's just not a smart thing to do. But that's the official story. Now, that happened on May 22nd, 1958. It's important that you keep these times kind of together. It was July of 1958 that I had my UFO sighting along that Navy road. I didn't realize this at the time, but in 1970, there was a reported UFO landing about a mile and a half from where that Nike site blew up. And the description of the vehicle was very close, not exactly like what I had seen, but very close to it. And that was in the town of Port Monmouth, which is part of Middletown Township. And again, roughly a mile and a half from the Nike site and about a mile and a half from the uh, Navy Pier facility. So again, these things seem to be gravitating to that Navy road. And of course, the nuclear munitions that were 
stored there at least until like 1996 when they supposedly removed. Never acknowledged by the Navy, but they were supposedly removed at that time. So that was 1970. You had a second, you had the landing come up to 2002, back to Dorbrook Farm or Dorbrook Park now where I lived. About 200 yards behind my house, a crop circle showed up in 2002, summer of 2002. Full disclosure, 2002 is also when the movie Signs came out with Mel Gibson. And I didn't think it was anything other than possibly hoaxers. All right, Joe, Gene, Tim, you're in. The Pericast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Hey folks, Tom D. for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual. And this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like.
You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork. You know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-932-5140. 800-932-5140. 800-932-5140. That's 800-932-5140. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, so you mentioned, of course, the film with Mel Gibson's signs, Joe Foster. And the thing I remember is at the end, they had this crazy monster. Yes, it was an alien alien creature. Well, anyway, the... the, uh, Movie Signs, I assumed that it had something to do with the movie Signs. But a couple of years later, I was at a MUFON event, and I talked to somebody who said that they actually did investigate and that it did have uh, some of the hallmarks of a valid crop circle uh, event. Uh, you know, the, the burst of the, uh, the, the plants, the microwave, you know, the burst caused them to fold over. So that was news to me, and it was kind of an interesting thing. Now, also, full disclosure, you mentioned John Keel uh, early on in the um, uh, the show. Mm-hmm. There was a gentleman named Robert Worth, W-A-R-T-H. Now, Bob Worth, um, I met him through my father. Uh, they both worked at Bendix at a, a period of time, and they became somewhat friendly. Well, Bob Worth was also a member of SITU, uh, which is the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained. And, of course, there was a, um, a quarterly newsletter that was put out. It was called Pursuit. A very interesting group. I mean, it goes way back to Neville, Long John Neville days. And a uh, gentleman who had the, uh, was, um, I don't know his name escapes, Ivan T. Sanderson, he's the one that founded uh, Situ. Well, anyway, uh, Bob Worth lives in Little, lived in Little Silver. He was a relatively young guy, um, and I met him. Uh, my father told me I should talk with him about some of the events that we've had, especially an event that my wife had relatively recently. And I did, made, made contact with him. Uh, we sat down, we talked, and he divulged a lot of stuff because he was the area investigator, basically, for Monmouth County area. He also, he and his wife, Nancy, were also the ones that edited and produced uh, Pursuit after Ivan Sanderson died of cancer in the 1970s. Well, anyway, uh, Bob did uh, some of the initial study on the 1970 landing there. And they had photographs of 
where the marsh grass was pressed down because of the weight of the saucer or the or the object, whether it's a sphere or a saucer. And it was actually validated in an interesting way that the police chief of Middletown Township, which is a fairly large township, uh, was a no-nonsense guy that was hired by my wife's grandfather, who was a deputy police chief in that town back at the time of the Nike explosion. Well, anyway, he validated the people that reported this sighting, which I t- found totally surprising. Because I get like this guy doesn't believe anything, <laughs> near as I could tell. But he did in this case, and he did it to the newspaper. Uh, the Courier was the local weekly newspaper, which is actually a pretty decent one as far as weeklies went. So, you know, you had that validation, and of course, the crop circle in 2002. Now, it doesn't end there. That's the interesting part. Uh, that my um, my dentist actually lived in an area that was very close to the Navy Road also. And she and her husband reported some very strange things in their development that was about a mile from where I lived on that farm. And this was just recently. They just had something recently about three or four years ago uh, when they moved from that area to another town. So, I mean, I, I don't want to drag this out any further than need be, but I wanted to show that there there's all these things happening, and there seems to be a definite linkage even to this day because the Naval Ammunition Depot is still there, even if it does not contain necessarily nuclear weapons. And leave that for the listener to, uh, to draw their own conclusions on. But my take, or my assumption is that this should not be too unique. I mean, it's unique only in the sense that I've had a number of years to be able to sit there and pay a little bit of attention to the area and that I find these things out through my own investigations. And um, you know, it, it is what it is. There was one other aspect of it. The sighting that I had in July of 1958 you know, basically about two or 300 yards away from my house, across the road, right over the Navy Road, about two miles from there, about two, two and a half miles, there was also a river that merged into the Madison River, and there was a large swampy area uh, where it goes from Red Bank into River Plaza, and a person that lived on that bank actually said that they witnessed the object that I had seen on that date actually land briefly in that swampy area. So now that you have two swampy areas that are close to that Navy Road, that apparently these craft will sit down in, for whatever reason. Totally separate, spaced over the years. People did not know one another. It's just something that the story came out. So I don't know what you what you make of that, but... Um, I uh, say that is very, very accurate, sans photographs or, you know, something like of that nature. Well, this is the type of of evidence, especially going back to uh, the 1970 landing case where they actually had photographs of uh, uh, depressions in the ground and, and, and things like that, that really, I think, needs to get more attention because – you look at all of the recent 
press coverage. I mean, you know, I, the press is really interested in UFOs now, uh, yet you read these articles and it seems like that they're under the impression that the whole UFO phenomena started in 2006. You know, but we have years of absolutely fantastic evidence like what you just uh, were referring to that doesn't get doesn't get much attention doesn't get much love no it really doesn't now there's one other thing that i did not mention especially about that 1970 event i mentioned nike ajax early on nike ajax was replaced by nike hercules Okay, it's a second generation surface air missile, U.S. Army. It was all designed by Werner von Braun and his team, the team of scientists and engineers that were brought over part of Operation Paperclip. It was based upon, the early design was based upon German designs from World War II. Now, the interesting thing about 1970, that, that landing in 1970, I'm a volunteer at New York 56, which is one of the remaining two Nike Hercules museums. Uh, New York 56 is located on Sandy Hook, Fort Hancock, and it's a what they call a dual battery. That means they had two integrated fire controls, one launcher area, but they also had 24 nuclear-armed Nike Hercules missiles, range of about 100 miles ceiling about 165,000 feet, speed Mach 3.5 or around 2,600 miles per hour. Very accurate and very deadly. They had three different size warheads. The small warhead was about five kiloton. The medium warhead was between 14 and 22, roughly the size of the two bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The large was about 40 kiloton. And they were actually used uh, during that time. They were the early warheads that were put onto the Trident ballistic missiles that the submarine launched Trident missiles. So we had we had 24 of those uh, Nike Hercules out there at Sandy Hook. F flying time or uh, driving time, it's about eight miles from the site of the landing and the Navy Road, about seven miles from the Navy Road. The only time, now this is according to the head of our our association, our volunteer association, the gentleman that was the actual, he was the launch section chief, launch section A of that Nike Hercules site. He said that the only time that he was involved, which was about six years at that site, the only time they ever armed those missiles for flight and anger. I mean, they took out the safe plugs out of the nuclear warhead and put the arming plugs in and raised them up into the position where they can be launched within two or three minutes. The only time that he ever had that happen was the summer of 1970. Before we return to the summer sure. of 1970, which was shortly after the Beatles broke up, by the way, we have Joe Foster. Right. Tim Swartz, Gene Steinberg, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare, our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day, but supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So we got Joe Foster joining us, UFO investigator, experiencer. We're back in 1970, which was quite an interesting, eventful year. It was the year in which the Beatles officially broke up. I don't know how many of you people have seen the Beatles Get Back documentary, three parts, nearly eight hours worth on Disney+. Plus. Don't know if it's worth it to have all the other stuff at Disney+, Plus, like Marvel and Star Wars. But we got this $1.99 offer. For that, it was worth watching nearly eight hours of the Beatles rehearsing. So before we go on, I know Tim had a question of Joe. Either of you see that documentary? The Beatles Get Back. Which one? The Beatles? Yes. You saw that one? Yes. Yes. All all three parts? No. No, I saw one. I think I saw one part, maybe the first part. Uh Uh-huh. Either that or I'm thinking of another Beatles special. The Beatles Get Back. It just came out over Thanksgiving. Oh, no. No. I saw a much earlier Beatles special, of which there have been a number. Okay. Yeah, millions of them, yeah. You, the Tim? Quality, the quality of the footage that they have is absolutely 
fantastic. I mean, it's uh, the processing they went through to get the original colors from the film that they use, 16 millimeter probably, I, I don't know offhand, but uh, it's it's really well worth watching if, if you enjoy the Beatles or you know enjoy that uh, kind of music and the music history. The key here is to understand that's what happens in the recording studio. It's not like you're doing a Broadway show. It's where the band will sit there and work out a song. And this is true with any rock band, of course, the Beatles being special and everything. And then over the hours, you gradually develop the songs. I think the most incredible thing which you could see free on YouTube is the section where Paul McCartney takes his bass, plays it like a guitar, and within two minutes composes on the fly the fundamentals of Get Back. It's also interesting just to see how the studios used to be at that time compared to all of the digital processes that they that they used now to record music. So, I mean, it, it really is an interesting uh, look back in music history. And remember, the band recorded all that stuff playing live, no overdubs, whatever, like they did in the early days. Anyway, we were talking with Joe Foster about what was happening back in 1970. And Tim, you had a question. Well, uh, I just uh, uh, want Joe to continue his story about uh, the Nikes being uh, armed and ready to fire. What was the situation that caused that? Now, that's the interesting thing. Basically, the story, and we give tours. The big thing is take people through and give them the historical background, show them the radar van, show them the battery control van, explain the process of the whole the whole thing from soup to nuts. But the story that we give for that, because that's a, that that is a key point when you tell people that you know we almost fired, we were ready to fire nuclear missiles in anger from Gateway National Park is kind of a funny thing, um, you know, it, it gets their attention. Well, the story that, that we get, and I got this basically from the Army, what the Army told their people, you, you have to understand it's a nuclear installation, so you have the, the whole criteria of the need to know. You need to know only what you need to do your job. So if you're, if you're down at the, the, the launcher area, and you're working on a launch section, your responsibility is to get those missiles ready to fly within 15 minutes. That means doing all the tests, configurations, and prepping the, the warheads for flight. Well, you don't necessarily have to know everything, and you're not going to be told everything. The launch section guys didn't know really all that much about what was going on up at the battery control area or the integrated fire control which is where the radar operators and the guy that actually gave the command to launch a missile in anger, that's where he sat. So you go through your protocols, your nuclear protocols, just like they do today, and that's what you do. You get them, everything ready to go, and then you wait for the command to launch. Now, what happened in this in particular instance, the story that we've been giving people, and again, I don't know anything other than what I'm, what I'm told about it, was that there was a single TU-95 Bear bomber that was making a beeline towards New York City. And, of course, Sandy Hook is, you know, one of the, the further east batteries. So your extent, your, your, your range is about 100 miles out to sea. So, you know, you would take out the plane before it got to 
be able to do its damage. They were carrying two thermonuclear devices. Now, what happens, the, the protocol calls for, they're, they're identified in an identif identification zone, air defense identification zone, which is about 200 miles out. Fighters are then scrambled, and they go with afterburners on, and they go out at supersonic speed to intercept the aircraft as it's heading in to the area that needs to be protected. When they get out there, there's usually two two fighters, and they will one will fly alongside the target, one will come in behind it, and if they couldn't get it to turn, they would identify it as a Soviet Tu-95 Bear bomber or whatever. If they couldn't get it to turn, the plane flying behind it would have brought it down with an air-to-air conventional warhead missile. Okay, that's the normal process for a single target. You would not use a, a nuclear warhead to bring down a single aircraft. First of all, Nike was the last line of defense, not the first line of defense. So what happened was, according to the story, this TU-95 Bear Bomber had just come out of a book that was supposedly written by it, about it. I haven't read it, but supposedly it was written by the pilot. And apparently, the plane came out of a total refurb of all of its electronics, right down to the to the main lines. And like with anything else, you can have a catastrophic failure. Usually, it happens within 72 hours, which is a burn-in period. So that plane had taken off on its mission, carrying whatever it was carrying, heading towards its duty station, which would have been flying down the east coast of the United States probably to, to Cuba, and it would turn around and come back again. Well, it lost all of its power, supposedly, had no navigation, which is not accurate, and it was flying blind, and hence it was heading towards New York City. Mm. And when, according to the pilot, when he saw the fighters coming out, at least he knew now where he was, and he was able to turn away and head back out to a place would have been safe. Now, again, I have a little bit of a problem with that whole story because, again, there have been plenty of incursions by single TU-95 Bear bombers or even flights of them. But this was a unique one, according to the crew member, the battery uh, chief. Uh, you know, it was so bad that when he got when he got off, it took an hour and a half to bring the uh, the missiles back into a safe position. That means putting the safe plugs in and putting them back in their storage area in the magazine, which is underground. He said he went home that day. He told his wife, make me a martini and don't ask me any questions. Mm. And after I finished that martini, make me another one and don't ask me any questions. She never knew that he worked with nuclear weapons. Okay. So, I mean, but again, I have a little bit of a problem because you would never use a nuclear weapon to bring down a single single aircraft. Okay, it's, you're doing more damage to yourself, basically, than you are to the other side. So that's a true story. That really did happen. Uh, the official story is the one that we give, that it, it was a plane that developed, you know, some type of mechanical problem or electronic problem. And But the fact that it happened... December of 1970, when that uh, UFO had landed, leaving trace evidence behind. That was investigated by Bob Worth as well as 
other investigators. Let's break here. Okay. We've got more to come with Joe, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You've heard that supply lines are down or moving slow. Or moving slow. And that most everything costs more these days. Costs more these days. But good news. High quality Sunny Bay products are in stock and ready to ship now because they're made in the USA. Like our extra long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs, are microwavable and come in a variety of colors and patterns. What a great gift. An extra long neck heating pad from Sunny Bay. Also available in lavender scented. Buy now in time for the holidays and avoid any shipping delays. Available on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy and Sunny-Bay.com. Just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. They're great for men or women, are reusable and easy to clean. So this year, give the gift of pain relief. An extra long neck wrap from Sunny Bay. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Order now when our stock is high and shipping is fast. And happy holidays from Sunny Bay. As Dr. Wallach says, we all have nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL90. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. 
Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Return with us now to the thrilling days of 1970. The summer of 1970. Joe Foster telling us more about... The strange things going on, please. Uh, again, that was just one string of events, but there were many others as well. I also operated a, an antenna as a volunteer at what is known as the Evans Area, which was part of Project Diana, which was really the birth of the space age. And that took place right here in Belmar, New Jersey, at a place called Camp Evans, which was part of historic Fort Monmouth, which is now closed because of BRAC. But we have a 60-foot radio telescope there that used to be a uh, basically a deep space radar, uh, part of the early space program, and also the, some of the early defense work uh, identifying missiles and satellites from back in the 1950s. Uh, we use it as a radio telescope, like I said, and we uh, bounce signals off of the moon because historically... That was the first time that that was documented and done was from Project Diana, which was a, a radar that was developed by the Army Signal Corps. That was also the Army Signal Corps labs, as well as now the communication, well, recently, Communications and Electronics Command. Interestingly, what was not widely known, it was also the area was part of the Manhattan Project. Matter of fact, the uh, the fuse mechanisms for the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were actually designed there, and they were actually the designs were actually stolen, given to the Soviets by, of course, the uh, Rosenbergs. Well, actually, Rosenberg, his wife was innocent, but he did work for the army there until 1945. Then he worked for defense contractors, and he cut his hands on apparently the fuse mechanisms. And turned that over to the Soviets, and that's what got them in the big, big problem. So it's a very, very historic area in of itself. It was also historically from 1952, I believe, it was part of a, a UFO flap uh, that included the, uh, the Washington flyover. But they also had radar contact with UFOs from Fort Monmouth in 1952. And, of course, there was also a visual sighting by uh, Air Force pilots that were tracking them along the Jersey Shore. Uh, so you had simultaneous, you had visual as well as radar. And the radar was actually validated by, of, of all people, uh, Ed Asner of, uh, you know, of, uh, Mary Tyler Moore fame. He was actually in the Army. He was a radar operator stationed at Fort Monmouth during that event. And he actually validated it. So the area is quite interesting. Of course, we also have historic Bell Labs. And, of course, those Bell Labs is where the transistor was invented or reverse engineered or whatever, <laughs> uh, along with a number of other firsts, including lasers, fiber optics, and so on, all within a very short area, a relatively close area. 
Hence, probably the reason that there was so much interest uh, by the UFO phenomenon. Very, and very of, critical area. And of course, those radar sightings, especially in 1952 around the Washington area, were explained away as just temperature inversions. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> right. If you believe that one, I've got some real estate down in Florida to sell you. <laughs> well, just well, make sure if you sell me the real estate in Florida, it's not in a flood zone. <laughs> well, that doesn't talk. About. I should have said I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, you were talking about some of those early radar uh, installations that uh, were able to uh, bounce a signal off off the moon, some of those radars were actually involved in sighting mysterious uh, satellites in Earth orbit when supposedly we hadn't reached that capability of uh, sending uh, uh, satellites up yet. Oh, absolutely. I think there was the was a dark night. Dark night, right. And, and not the more recent dark night that uh, pictures have been circulating that's probably a thermal blanket uh, floating in orbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever they, had, they were seeing back in the 50s was solid. <laughs> well, and plus they, it was uh, in polar orbit rather than the uh, conventional, uh, easier to get to uh, orbit. You know, back then, achieving polar orbit uh, was a lot more difficult. Yeah, but also it's a smart one because it gets to see the entire globe. Eventually, you can you can film the entire globe by doing that. I wanted to ask you, uh, Joe, before we uh, get into some of your own uh, personal experiences, when you were uh, in the military, mm -hmm. you were talking about the, uh, the the Nike bases. And I, what a lot of people don't realize is that there were many of those facilities scattered across the uh, country. Uh, I know, uh, say I live in Indiana, and there was a pretty good-sized one in northern Indiana that was its job was to come cover uh, Chicago. But at the uh, time that it was active, the, interestingly enough, there were uh, numerous uh, UFO sightings over that part of uh, Indiana and uh, the lower Michigan area as well. So I'm wondering if other Nike facilities around the country had the uh, same kind of, of sightings. Well, I, I can give you an anecdotal story, and it's based upon I was giving the tour out at New York 56, mm -hmm. and there was an elderly gentleman. He was probably in his mid-80s by the time. But by that time, he came through, and I gave him the great the grand tour and explained everything. He was a pit rat, so he would have uh, been working down at the um, uh, the launcher area. Nice guy, very pleasant guy. He came through, gave him the tour of the battery control van, and showed him the radars and everything else. He said, "Wow," he said. Something happened that I can't talk about, <laughs> even to this day. Okay. And I'm sitting here. Now, Nike Ajax is not something that would have been considered overly top secret, maybe how the radars work or something. But for the most part, it's not something that would have uh, really elicited the same type of control, okay, when you're debriefed and you have a top secret clearance, and you're told not to talk about something, there, there were ramifications if you did. Well, he went on, he was so cryptic about this. I'm sitting there and said, well, you know, 
you were at a conventional missile site. He said, yes. He said, but what we experienced was something that was considered top secret. Now, where his battery was located was up on North, in North Jersey. And Sandy Hook, of course, is on the East Coast and close, closest to New York Harbor. Well, he, what he was uh, had up there, they would have only been engaged if the bombers had been coming from over the North Pole and closing on New York City coming out of the North. Then he would have been within play. The, the range of a Nike Ajax is only about 32 miles. So it's not a long-range anti-aircraft missile. So I'm sitting here, and he absolutely refused to go into any type of detail at all. Now, I mentioned this to a couple of the other Nike guys. I said, what do you think he was engaged with? And they couldn't think of anything. Let me. Okay. I'm going to go back on something here in a moment. Gene, Joe, and Tim, you're in. The Pericast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to teamgaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's teamgaday.com with longevity. Teamgaday.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. One of the biggest clusters of tornadoes to ever break out in the nation's south has left at least 100 people dead in western Kentucky alone. Officials still scrambling to find any possible survivors beneath the rubble, especially in the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, where that tornado that tore through there toppled brick buildings and destroyed both the police station and the fire station. President Joe Biden assuring those affected by the storm Whatever is needed, the federal government is going to find a way to supply it. President Biden's already issued a disaster declaration for Kentucky. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee requesting one for his state as well. Governor Asa Hutchinson in Arkansas touring the area damaged there by helicopter saying it's hard to fathom the scope of the damage. This is USA Radio News. Dr. Mehmet Oz of TV fame says Dr. Anthony Fauci should be, quote, held accountable for misleading Americans on COVID-19. 
Oz recently announced a bid for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania running as a Republican. Slamming Fauci in a weekend statement to the New York Post, he did not hold back, suggesting the chief White House medical advisor resign. There's been no response from Dr. Fauci to Oz's remarks. The annual Army-Navy showdown on Saturday afternoon saw the midshipmen stun their rivals, Army's Black Knight, 17-13 at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. A few hours later, Alabama's quarterback Bryce Young was named the winner of this year's Heisman Trophy Award. Thanks to the people around me and to the grace of God, I've been able to make it here, and I'm truly grateful for that. So thank you, everyone, for coming out and everyone watching at home. Have a great night. And this is USA Radio News. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. This is Jennifer Stein, executive producer of The Disclosure Dialogues. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We continue with that description from Joe Foster. Go ahead, please. Yeah, well, basically, we had one gentleman come through on one of our tours, and he was an ex-Army uh, Nike Ajax crew member. Uh, who worked in the launcher area of one of the batteries located in the northern part of New Jersey. Now, the one thing you have to understand, Nike Ajax is not a long-range, it's not a nuclear missile. It's got a range of about 32 miles and a surface ceiling of about 65,000 feet. So when you're looking at things that would be top secret, that probably would not have fallen into that category. Now, what he told me, and I kept asking, I said, well, you know, what, 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 what event did you have that you, you're reticent to talk about? And he said, oh, I really can't because we were debriefed. And, of course, when you're debriefed on a classified event, you can't, you can't talk about it. Otherwise, there are ramifications. You can be fined. You can even be put in jail. So that's how critical the debriefing is. And this gentleman took it very, very seriously. Now, because of his age, which was probably in the early to mid-80s, he was probably at the time that Arlen Bentley had his event down there in Maryland at Whiskey 93. And that was the crash of a UFO outside of the fence of the launcher area. It was witnessed by a farmer as well as a number of the crew members. took place early in the morning. And what happened was the object hit the ground in a field, and then it took off again. But when it took off, 
it left behind debris. Uh, the Air Force got there very, very quickly, and they went out into the field, and they actually ended up removing a piece of debris that was about the size, described by Harlan Bentley, about the size of a washing machine. They put it in the back of a, a two-and-a-half-ton, a deuce-and-a-half, and it was taken away by men in hazmat suits, obviously for some type of contamination, and it turns out that there was some radiation issue. And then what happened about two or three hours later, the entire battery, all the crew members of the battery, were brought together and were debriefed by an Air Force officer. And the Air Force officer told them what they had witnessed was the crash of an experimental helicopter. And they all kind of laughed about that because they knew it was not a helicopter. And when Harlan Bentley completed the story, they were talking about, you know, this, this event. Now, the event that this gentleman that came through York 56, and that's the museum where I give tours, he related the story about his Nike Ajax site, and it was not about a crash. He would not go into any detail about it. I found that kind of strange because it was not a nuclear facility. It wasn't even at the edge where most of the activity would take place. But he still would not talk about it because he was debriefed as well. Asking several of the other Nike guys that I know from you know, our tours and everything, asked them what they thought, and they couldn't think of anything because apparently none of them were ever debriefed by it, about anything. But they still didn't talk about one gentleman did say he worked at a, a Nike site that was nuclear that's also part of uh, Gateway National Park. So we actually ended up with 48 nuclear-armed Nike Hercules missiles until 1974. He worked at the, the site on the other side of the entrance to the harbor, and he said that they were told by people walking by on the beach, oh, did you see the UFO that's hovering over your buildings there? And he didn't, he said, but they insisted that there were UFOs. So anyway, the gentleman, the, the elderly gentleman that would not talk, the only thing it could be, because it probably happened roughly around the time that the events down in Maryland uh, with the, the crash, it may have been something similar that he had witnessed as well. But we'll never know because he would not divulge. Okay. That's that story. But it's all part and parcel. It's all tied in with the military, with uh, weapons, and especially anti-aircraft and radar. And that is something that has been a common thread uh, going through with a lot of these sightings. Well, let's move forward to uh, your experiences when you were a quartermaster in the U.S. Coast Guard. Yeah, you've uh, the uh, and I should say that you wrote a chapter about this that was included in uh, Timothy Green Beckley's book uh, um, "Alien Lives Matter." Why don't you uh, Why don't you uh, tell us about that? Okay, well, uh, essentially the the thing started. I went to boot camp in February of 1969. Um, I reported to my first duty station, which was Honolulu, Hawaii in June, uh, roughly around May, June timeframe. And um, at that time, I spent about two or three weeks in, you know, just doing work around the base as a seaman recruit. Uh, but I was assigned to the Coast Guard Cutter Mellon. <laughs> Interestingly, Mellon, of course, is Chris Mellon's 
ancestor, Andrew Mellon, who used to be a secretary of the treasury. It was a treasury class cutter that I was assigned to. Basically, brand spanking new, state-of-the-art, a real showboat. Anyway, when I went on board there, my first uh, my first cruise was about a month and a half later. Uh, we went out on Ocean Station Victor. And uh, it was uh, between uh, July and August. And, of course, July of 1969, the Apollo 11 mission took place. And I was out on Ocean Station during that mission. And uh, where it set down was about seven or 800 miles to the south of where we were located, which is roughly halfway between Hawaii and Japan on Ocean Station Victor. And um, while on Ocean Station, I was uh, going on to the mid-watch, which is midnight vocal time for the ship. And we were relieving the offgoing watch, which is the, the 8 to midnight. And while we were doing the turnover, which is about 15 minutes before the actual switch, Combat Information Center squawked us on the bridge and said that they were tracking targets, closing on us. And then they said they were coming out of the northeast on us, hitting on a southwesterly course. But the speed was a bit of a problem. They were being clocked on the radar about 3,500 miles per hour, three objects flying in tight formation. In 1969, I don't know of anything that we had or that the Russians had that would fly across the ocean like that in such a tight formation at such a speed. And, uh, well, anyway, so we it was a beautiful, clear summer night in the Pacific Ocean. And so we all went running out to the, to the starboard bridge wing. The ship was facing to the north. It was drifting, facing to the north. And we were just on our, our 10 square mile grid as a navigation aid. We would be transmitting our location. Well, anyway, sure enough, at the horizon, uh, we picked up three points of bright white light and they flew directly over the ship. And as they passed over the ship, we ran through the bridge out to the port bridge wing and watched them disappear to the southwest on the horizon. Now, the bridge wing is 44 feet above sea level, so if you did some math, you could sit there and kind of ex- extrapolate and figure out what the the altitude of these objects were, and you can give you an estimated speed, of which one of the uh, the ODs, uh, the officer of the deck, did. Now, there were 14 of us on the bridge at the time of the event, including the captain. My captain was the senior, coast, the senior captain, 06 in the Coast Guard. He would never make Admiral, which would have been the next step up, because he was a Mustanger. He was not an Academy man. And unless you were an Academy man, you didn't make Admiral. But he was a master mariner. The guy Mustanged it all the way from E1 all the way up to 06. And he was the smartest man I had ever known. And this guy you would trust with your life. We have more, much more to come with Joe Foster. And by the way, he will be sticking around for our premium show after the Paracast. And Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. 
They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Words and music. For the last year, the Federal Reserve has told us inflation is, in a word, transitory. But the Fed can't fight the music of inflation. It's what happens when we print trillions of dollars. Hi, my name is Adam Barada. I've built the number one precious metals firm in the country by adding massive value. And Advantage Gold wants to earn your business by doing that for you right now. My best-selling gold inflation index report retails for $500. I want to email it to all serious investors with retirement accounts for free. No salespeople, no rigmarole, no gimmicks. Simply text the letters G-I-I to 49776. I'll email you my best-selling gold inflation report right now. Text G-I-I to 49776. That's G-I-I to 49776. Let Advantage Gold add massive value, and then we'll ask for your business. Text G-I-I to 49776. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? Ninety-two thousand dollars ouch the irs left no room for jake to breathe they put a lien on my house took all the money out of my bank account took money out of my paychecks so it was a nightmare he needed help fast i figured that all these companies were the same until i called federal tax management you could just tell they knew what they were talking about right then and there i felt like i had some hope stop the liens levies and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special irs programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt so how did go for jake they did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Tea Club's original Pure Pound Arco Super Tea helps build the Red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. That's shop, S-H-O-P, super, S-U-P-E-R-T-T-E-A dot com. So the complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5 California time. That's shopsupertea.com at 818-984-6100.
author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Our special guest is Joe Foster joining us for the first time in the Paracast. He's got so much to tell us. I think we're going to have to have him back on in the near future. You're talking a lot, Joe, about your military background. And maybe before we go on and ask you about this, can you give us an overview of your background, how you got in the military, what positions you worked at? Oh, sure. Okay, well, I graduated from high school in uh, 66. I joined the Coast Guard in 69. Um, I had about a year and a half of college under my belt, but I didn't feel like going on much further. So I went, and I didn't want to necessarily go to Vietnam. Uh, I was raised in one of the, what is known as one of the peace missions, peace religions. So, I mean, I could have gotten out of military service completely if I wanted to. But I felt that, you know, you had to learn what about something before you can make judgments about it. So I decided to go into the Coast Guard because I figured I'd be saving lives as opposed to taking lives. That was a naive, <laughs> naive belief, but that's, that's another story. Anyway, so I went into the Coast Guard, February of 1969. Um, I was uh, advancing along in boot camp, and I was sent down. When President Eisenhower died, I marched in his funeral, part of a Coast Guard contingent. And then, like I said, I went to Hawaii. I didn't go to any schools, uh, but I scored very high in the um, military aptitude test, whatever that's worth. The captain liked the way I steered the ship. When I first went on, I took my turn steering the ship. And we were getting ready for our first uh, patrol. And what you have to do is you have to calibrate the compasses and uh, the gyro compass you calibrate with the magnetic compass so what i was doing as helmsman i was told to keep on a certain bearing for a period of time then i'd go to another bearing and they'd be calibrating deviation and variance of the, the compass and i did this and i kept yelling mark 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 because i had a an affinity for steering the ship i don't know why but, but i did and it would always stay spot on Got to the point where the captain would walk up behind me and look over my shoulder and see what I was doing. And he noticed that it was dead on and never deviated off the bearing that I was given. And I did that for the all eight cardinal points of the compass. And he told the chief that he wanted me as a quartermaster. So they took me as a striker. I was the first striker to get off the deck force on the ship in the history of the ship going into operations. So I went and I did that, and that's what I did as I was a junior quartermaster when we deployed to Vietnam, and we deployed on other assignments. When I came back from Vietnam, I had one more patrol to go on. The first patrol, of course, I was there for the the UFO sightings as well as the Apollo 11 mission. When I came back, (laughs) interestingly, I saw the Glomore Explorer was tied up in front of my ship just before we left on another patrol. And, of course, the Glomar Explorer, Project Azorian, ended up bringing up a part of a Russian submarine that had sunk uh, under interesting and somewhat mysterious circumstances. And when I came back from that patrol, I was sent to uh, schools at Pearl Harbor, a couple of Navy schools, where I made friends with a Navy yeoman who, interestingly, worked for an organization called FICPAC, or Fleet Intelligence Central Pacific. By this time, I had two more UFO sightings under my belt, uh, another daylight sighting of a gigantic silver or mercury-colored sphere, 
on the way back to Honolulu. And also we had a USO event right off the coast of Vietnam. So when we were playing tennis one day after work, I told this yeoman about my sightings, quote unquote, and he started laughing. I said, oh, here it is. He's laughing at me because he thinks I'm a UFO nut. Well, it turns out he said, no, that's not the reason he was laughing. He said, I was laughing because we get thousands of those reports every year just from U.S. naval ships. Let that sink in. This is 1970. And they had been getting thousands of reports just from U.S. naval ships every year. Of course, Flight Pack is part of ONI, or Office of Naval Intelligence. So, you know, fast forward to 2006, 2004, we hear about the Tic Tac sightings, and then we hear about the study. And I said, well, when they dump thousands of reports every year, then I'll be impressed. <laughs> okay. That is a true story. From there, after I finished my schooling at Pearl Harbor, I went back to um, the 3rd District and the way that happened, that was an interesting story in and of itself. I ended up going to an organization called AMBER where I was put in a supervisor's slot. That was an officer's slot where we tracked 72,000 ships for search and rescue purposes. Very, very successful operation. But the way I got to it, it was a very circuitous route. After I got out of the schools at Pearl Harbor, I had about three or four months left in the district before I was due to rotate. So I was given a job painting three offices, district headquarters. I had the captain's office, I had the admiral's office, and I had a warrant yeoman's office. And who did I paint? I painted the warrant yeoman's office first. <laughs> and he walks in and he sees his freshly painted office. He said, what are you doing? He said, I said, well, I had three offices, captain, the admiral, and yours. And he said, you painted my office? Did you paint the other ones? I said, no. I said, I wanted to paint your office first. So, so we laughed and we sat down and had a cup of coffee. And I told him where I was from, where I, what I was doing, where I would like to have gone. And then we said goodbye. And I went back to my base. Next morning, I get up for muster. And uh, as I go out to muster, they tell me, Foster, report to the base office. So I reported to the base office thinking I was in some type of trouble, probably for not painting the admiral's office before I painted the warrant yeoman. But it turns out that they had a big, thick manila envelope for me that was loaded with my orders, my airline tickets. Uh, I had 30 days leave and 30 days basket leave all waiting for me that morning. And I had to catch my flight that day. So I had to pack and leave. And then when I reported to Governor's Island, which is the third Coast Guard district, I had orders for Calm Land area. From there, they gave me orders to go to Amber. So I got the best coachiest duty you could ever imagine for my last two years in the service. I didn't have to stand any duties. All I had to do was run my shifts. That is a true story. And I think the point is that be very careful who you toes you step on or who you do do something for because it'll come back either to haunt you or as a blessing so true story <laughs> and that's my military <laughs> all right well you mentioned um a uso sighting when you were um in the uh, the gulf of thailand i think is where it was you want to tell us about that sure uh gulf of thailand we were just coming back from the Nang area and we we're heading back to our normal operations it was down off the, the river mouth of uh, the Sonandok River, 
which was a Navy SEAL base that was getting hit all the time by Viet Cong. Uh, they were almost overrun uh, within a couple of weeks of that sighting. But we're sitting at the where the, the, Gulf of, uh, the Gulf of Thailand or the Gulf of Siam meets with the South China Sea. And uh, we were anchored waiting for our movement orders. And the captain said, okay, well, we're probably going to be here for a couple of hours. So he authorized swim call. Now, I don't know if anybody would want to go swimming in that because they have these poisonous sea snakes all over the place. And it's not, not a great place to swim. But a bunch of the guys did. And, of course, being junior man and the quartermaster team, I had anchor watch along with uh, the, the other watch standers. So we were all up on the bridge, on the bridge wing. We were watching the, uh, the guys diving off the main deck into the water in the aft third of the ship. And then they'd swim over to a rubber raft and climb up a cargo net back up to the deck, and they'd do it all over again. And it doesn't sound like too much fun, but it breaks up a, a long patrol. So anyway, we're up there, and we're watching now the, the sky conditions it was overcast. It was a gray overcast day. Sometime, I believe, it was around May. And um, so we're sitting there watching the guys swim. And there was a slight breeze, like a three to five knot breeze. And there was a chop to the water. And so, you know, observe, uh, conditions for observing something in the water were not optimum. But what we did see, we saw this gigantic dark shadow passed underneath the ship in the aft third of the ship. So you know the size of the ship. The ship is 378 feet long and probably about 40 foot wide at where it came under. It was also, uh, the keel was about 18 feet down, so we knew the depth of whatever the object was as well. We've got a lot more to talk about Okay, with Joe Foster mm-hmm. telling us about all the very, very strange things that happened during his military career. And we hope to have him continue on after the Paracast this week. So stay with us with Gene and Tim. You're in (laughs) the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk... They hear you. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're going through every single special voice that Tim Swartz offers. Not a thousand. What was it? Twenty-seven and a half, right? Twenty-seven and a half. That's right. Okay. Still working well, on that half one. Okay. Well, we'll get there one of these days. Joe Foster, please continue with all this strange stuff that's happening when you were in the military. <laughs> Did you feel unique at all about encountering all this, or what? You know, you know the the funny thing at the time it was happening. I knew it was unique from my perspective, but I think a lot of people just don't pay attention, or they they shrug their shoulders. You know, it, uh, it, I think it really depends upon the individual. And there were so many things that happened in my life, and actually even before my life. I mean, my mother had my mother had stories herself. You know, before I was there. So, you know, to me, these things weren't all that unique as such, but there's something that you definitely wanted to pay a little attention to because there there was a broader meaning to it all, I, I think, I believe. And so, you know, that was, uh, that was my case. Uh, the interesting thing about one of the sightings that I had, the sighting where we had objects flying over the ship at 3,500 miles per hour and we had visual confirmation and estimate to speed and things like that was that it, it, they were that was the only one of those three sightings while I was in the service that were formally reported okay so that navy yeoman that I played tennis with when he said we get thousands of those reports every year well guess what guys you got one out of three that I can well I'm going to say two. The the USO, that was uh, that was an interesting one because the object was about 100 foot long and it was about 35 foot wide at its widest part and it was teardrop shaped, okay? But it was a dark mass. There was no lights, but there was also no apparent fluke action or fin action that would indicate that it was a living creature that was, you know, propelling itself underneath the ship at a low rate of speed, but we only saw it for maybe seven or eight seconds before it disappeared in the chop of the water and the sky conditions, you know, just completely obliterated. So that one there, I would give to say, now that one that maybe we couldn't report because I don't know what we would report. The object that we saw when we were shooting morning stars, 
again, I was a navigator, navigators or communications and, and uh, navigation. So I was shooting morning stars with my captain, the officer of the deck, and my chief, the chief quartermaster. And I was hacking for the officer of the deck, and my chief was hacking or operating the stopwatch for the captain. The captain and the officer of the deck were operating the sextants. So, you know, they were actually taking the readings. We were doing the time mark. It was at that time we were on the starboard bridge wing. Of course, the ship is heading back about two days out of Guam, I guess, heading back to Honolulu. And we were north of the Marianas. And all of a sudden, we saw this gigantic silver, it wasn't silver, it was, it was mercury-colored sphere that was closing on us. It was on a reciprocal course coming from in front of us, heading directly at us. Well, the officer, the deck, and the captain dropped their sextants. We're all watching this object heading towards us. And as it got closer to the ship, it was maybe three or two, three, four hundred feet in the air. But it was going to pass us on the port side. We were on the starboard side. So when it came, we saw it disappear in the rigging and the towards the mast on the port side of the ship. And, of course, the, the lookout was up on the flying bridge. He saw it as well. But I figured, well, this is great. Now the captain's seeing this this object, and he's going to sit there and say, okay, let's fill out that sit rep, the sighting form that you have to fill out, and then let's get it transmitted and give it to the radio officer like we did for the three objects. They, they gave it to the radio officer who took it down to the radio shack, and they transmitted it to points unknown. Well, this time here, thinking that the captain was going to recreate that, all he did when it passed us on the port side and disappeared behind the ship, he just shrugged his shoulders and went back to shooting morning, morning stars, which is a half hour before sunrise. So, you know, it never got reported. So out of three sightings, only one got reported. Okay. Now, if you extrapolate and say, well, that yeoman who works in a computer or processing port for the Fleet Intelligence Central operation, you know, if he's saying they get thousands of those reports, well, it must be in the tens of thousands because if other people don't report things, you know, then why should we? All right. Mm-hmm. You've referred to this through a portion of the show that people there were not reporting their UFL encounters. And obviously, mm-hmm. I would think if it happened to me, it'd be one of the most significant things. Was it because they feared blowback? Why wouldn't they report these encounters? I think there's a number of things. It, well, this captain, he's not worried about his career. His career was exemplary, and he was going to be retiring fairly soon anyway. I think it was more along the lines of, why should I make more work for myself and other people when nothing will happen? He spent his whole life at sea. And I think that's the main point, is that he had seen so many things over the years that are strange, that are bizarre, that should be reported in our mind's eye. He said, why do it? You know, this is so commonplace. It's nothing. And that is true. It is commonplace. I guarantee if you spend any time at sea at all, you will see something eventually. Because I think something like 70% of all UFO sightings are over water, in water, or over the ocean. You know, it is. It, it, phenomenal the amount of sightings that have to do with uh, the ocean 
So he spent his whole life at sea, so it's not extraordinary. So he's not going to waste his time with it. That's my take. There's no specific policy, therefore, mandating that they report something? Oh, no, there absolutely is. Uh, there's, uh, There's two documents. I think they both came out in the early 50s. One is uh, Janus 146E, is I think the most recent. And that is a, a document that tells you what to report, why you report it, you know, what falls into the category that should be reported. And it's anything of a national defense uh, nature uh, that takes place in the scene by ships at sea. There's another one that's called Service, C-I-R-V-I-S. And I just got this validated. This was validated for me a couple of weeks ago. We had a conference here of um, at uh, the historic Project Diana site, and it was a UFO UAP conference, first of its kind, put on at Fort Mama. And one of my presenters was an Air Force colonel, retired colonel, who was also a pilot, has like 39,000 hours of flying time. And he had five sightings himself that he presented that he actually talked about. And one of them was, you know, uh, one of them at least was reported. And he mentioned that they use service as a reporting mechanism. That's what you're supposed to do. If it's it's something that, like you see a missile coming out of the water, you see high-speed aircraft doing something or heading toward the United States, you are supposed to report those. But not everybody does because, again, a lot of people just don't want to have to do the paperwork. Or there's also the fact that if you report something like that, now you got to get debriefed and you have to debrief your crew, and that becomes a problem in of itself. Because how do you how do you enforce it? One of the aircraft carriers, uh, I'm not sure if it's Roosevelt or the Kennedy. They had a UFO that hovered over its flight deck, a gigantic UFO that hovered over its flight deck, and all the crew were told to stay inside. But one radio operator went out on one of the landings that you can get to, and he saw it. And when they got back to Norfolk, the whole ship was debriefed over the the closed-circuit TV. We've got more to come with Jill Foster Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg, you're in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. You've heard that supply lines are down or moving slow. Or moving slow. And that most everything costs more these days. Costs more these days. 
news. High quality Sunny Bay products are in stock and ready to ship now because they're made in the USA. Like our extra long neck heating pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs, are microwavable and come in a variety of colors and patterns. What a great gift. An extra long neck heating pad from Sunny Bay. Also available in lavender scented. Buy now in time for the holidays and avoid any shipping delays. Available on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. They're great for men or women, are reusable, and easy to clean. So this year, give the gift of pain relief and extra long neck wrap from Sunny Bay. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Order now when our stock is high and shipping is fast. And happy holidays from Sunny Bay. Cancer categorizes over 100 diseases. Though we do not diagnose, treat, or cure cancer, GCN team is offering the Clemson University study where there was up to a 95% reduction in cancerous cells when exposed to a plant-derived mineral supplement. If you or a loved one are searching for answers to this horrifying disease, come to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. We'll email you a copy for free. That's 877-878-4203. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, simulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com, that's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com, or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity. TeamGaday.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. With Joe Foster telling us about the trials and tribulations of daring to report a UFO. And a lot of it sounds like they don't want to be bothered with all the red tape. Could it also impact their careers negatively? Yes. That I know for a fact because uh, Major uh, George Filer, his career was negatively impacted. And because he was involved with uh, UFO sightings while he was in active duty. He really thinks he should have made colonel at the time and he had the the recommendations and uh, evaluations, but because he had something to do with UFOs, he 
gets passed over. And that happens a lot. You get passed over for a lot of things. And sighting and reporting a UFO is not, a, would never be considered a career-enhancing move. That I know. I mean, my time in the service and, you know, talking to people that I've talked to and understanding how promotion boards work. So now, is, is that because, you know, promotion boards have people that just aren't familiar with all of the activity that people have, are, are seeing over the years and just naturally assume, oh, well, you know, this guy said, you know, he saw UFOs, so, yeah, no, he's not going anywhere. Or is it a little bit more conspiratorial where it's just like, no, we can't, uh, you know, we can't let this guy, you know, ascend the ladder if he's going to be talking about something that uh, we want to keep uh, secret. Yeah, well, I'm going to say that there's a couple of different, this is my my thought. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that, you know, you have a number, there's a ripple effect, okay? There's also the fact that, you know, things go up and things go down. If I'm your boss and you sit there and I sign off either tacitly or fully on what you're talking about, that's going to haunt me and it's going to impact the people that have to make assumptions or uh, decisions about my own uh, advancement. So, you know, there's, there's, you don't do these things in a vacuum. And so consequently, it's just like, uh, let, me, let me give you an example. A, a buddy of mine was military intelligence back in the 60s and 70s. When he wasn't on doing missions that were, you know, human intelligence type gathering stuff, he worked out of a place called Fort Halbert down out in Baltimore, which is was spook, spook school is the way he described it. And when they weren't doing their other missions on, on the road, they were given work to do inside. They would go into a vault and they were given the task of declassifying classified material from World War II. And he said that they would go in there and he said it was the most boring thing that you could ever do. You have to sit down and you take out these folders, these, these files, you have to read everything. Then you have to go through a declassification process, maybe stamping and, and logging it or whatever. He said it got to the point where it was so tedious, it just kept everything classified. Stamped and keep it classified because they didn't have to do anything. <laughs> just put your time in. Don't do the right thing because there were a million, there are literally, literally billions of documents. We are so overclassified in this country. And there's probably a good reason because it's so difficult to declassify these things. That's true. You kind of take that with a grain of salt. It's probably a lot to do with human nature more than anything else. Also, the fact that you didn't want your name dragged to the mud for certifying somebody below you and saying becoming part of that chain so i think that's just an unfortunate fact of life now let me pursue this further here mm -hmm. we can go into more military cases and hopefully we'll have time as we continue through the final segments of the show but right now what do you think the authorities know that they are not telling us about ufos do you think they know the answer or are they just trying to figure it out? I tell you the truth, I'm 
I mean, all I have is what my gut tells me. But I have no insights, you know, beyond. I mean, I never did anything where I would have that type of inside knowledge, if you will. Let's go back to 1970 in Pearl Harbor. Okay, that yeoman, that third class, third class yeoman, he was part of a part of a machine. You know, he was a cog, a cog in the machine, if you will. Now, interestingly, you know who was stationed there at Pearl Harbor at the same time? And that was Bobby Ray Inman, Admiral Bobby Ray Inman. He was a lieutenant commander at the time, but he was always been with O and I, Officer of Naval Intelligence. So let's do the if then else or the uh, follow the thread. This guy, this yeoman, who was a computer guy, who was monitoring and managing data, and obviously he had some type of insight into type data that they were gathering there. And he would say that they had thousands of those reports every year. And a lieutenant commander who was, you know, with O&I, who was also there at that time, he would have to say he would probably have to have the same insight into what was being processed and what the processing really meant. Now, how much did they actually know about the phenomenon itself? Other than we know that crashes have taken place. We know that there has been debris and wreckage. We also know that they have radar and sightings and reports. You know, so they have all that. But how much more they know, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, it would probably go into a Lockheed Martin because Lockheed Martin is beyond, or any defense contractor is beyond the scope of Freedom of Information Act releases. They don't have to release freedom under the Freedom of Information Act. So that means anything that is that classified could be very easily hidden away forever. Okay, let's look at forever for a moment here, all right? You talk Mm -hmm. about debris. You're talking in terms of Roswell now or something else? Well, 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 there's other other reported debris sites in here in Russia, Germany, you know, all over. I mean, there's been reports of crashes going back years. I mean, going back to 1897 even. So, I mean, all that place, I mean, that means there has to be stuff someplace of all these reports, if that's the case, it has to be kept someplace. It has to be looked at, has to be evaluated, doesn't it? I mean, this is just me using simple, for me, common sense, that this is all true. And that means it's all hidden away. Well, I'm saying that if it's hidden away, you can't necessarily hide it in a government facility because that falls under the Freedom of Information Act, as we all know now. But if it's hidden away at a defense contractor's site, whether it's a, a you know a Lockheed Martin or a, a you know the, the gentleman down there in Las Vegas, he can hide it away, and he doesn't have to comply with any Freedom of Freedom of Information requests. Let's do our break here. Maybe he's talking about Bob Bigelow, by the way. Let's do our break with Joe and Gene and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News. I'm Brad Bernards. More than 70 people are feared dead after a catastrophic series of tornadoes ripped through Kentucky and other states late Friday and early Saturday. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir. This has been the most devastating tornado event in our state's history. And for those that have seen it, what it's done here in Graves County and elsewhere, it is indescribable. On Saturday afternoon, the White House approved Kentucky State of Emergency and ordered federal assistance to supplement state and local response efforts. The Biden administration is seeking to reassure Americans regarding rising inflation after the Labor Department's Consumer Price Index report showed prices rising at their fastest annual pace in nearly 40 years. This is USA Radio News. Dr. Naomi Wolf on Steve Bannon's War Room. There's some kind of contract where governors have to deliver a certain percent of vaccinated in order to get something from pharma or in order to fulfill their contract. You can see this structure over and over. We have to reach 70% or 80% of vaccinated or you don't get your rights back. She said this is not how America works. Our Constitution doesn't say when there's a bad disease, the Constitution is suspended. It just doesn't. So, at, you know, we've lived through smallpox, we've lived through HIV, we've lived through all of it with our Constitution intact because that is the law of the land. You don't get to just say the laws don't apply in a democracy. It's, it's illegal, it's unlawful, and, and it's criminal. The assistant director who handed Alec Baldwin a prop gun that killed a cinematographer on a New Mexico film set must make himself available for an interview with state workplace safety regulators, a judge has decided. This is USA Radio News. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who've helped people that have been injured or wronged. Have you been diagnosed with cancer? Are you one of the millions who have taken Zantac or other generic versions of this popular drug to help treat stomach issues? Then pay close attention to this message. The FDA said it detected low levels of a probable cancer-causing chemical known as NDMA in Zantac and other generic forms of this popular drug. They've banned sales and even removed it from the market. If you've been diagnosed with cancer and you've taken Zantac or a generic equivalent, call the legal helpline now. You could receive a free cash award and have your medical expenses covered. And there's no upfront cost to you. They only get paid if you win. So please call now. 800-998-7173. 800-998-7173. 
800-998-7173. That's 800-998-7173. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Okay, so this is something I've mentioned in the past, Joe Foster, that if they have any really important, significant evidence, the best way to hide it would be to take it out of the military and stick it somewhere in private industry. And when you talk about Las Vegas, you're speaking of Bob Bigelow then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he would be the perfect foil for it. With the current government UFO investigation, and now they're renaming, doing musical chairs, renaming the project, and a couple of weeks ago, we featured Colin Kelleher, who is a scientist who actually works with Bob Bigelow, talking about different aspects of UFOs, about the hitchhiker effect, where if you see something, other phenomena may happen around you. You may suffer negative physical effects, things like that. But then again, the way the government is treating this in the report, especially the one that was released in June, is that nothing else happened but this, or everything is like this. They ignore the years of history in the UFO field with various cases. And you think if they had proof positive, we're being visited by ET or whatever the cause is, they have the evidence, they have the wreckage somewhere, even if private industry has that wreckage. What's the point of investigating anything, or is that just a smokescreen? Well, you, you want to get you want to get way out here. Way yeah, out. This I is the paracast. Let's get. I way mean, out. way out. I mean, way out. My guess is that let's take it down this path. Let's say that the aliens have made, manifested themselves, and they have made themselves available to us, and they have made deals on the side, whether they're good deals or bad deals, whatever. But the fact of the matter is that it has nothing to do with us directly, but it does have something to do with somebody else. So if I was somebody who wanted power and wealth and fame, and I wanted to swing a deal with somebody that can give me all that, how far would I go? Or when I say I, how far would some people go? Would they sell out the entire human race and say, okay? Well, the, the aliens are saying that we need to depopulate because it's just too many people. Okay? Say what? What do the aliens say? Let, let, uh, I'm, just, I'm just taking down a, a certain path. Let's say that the aliens have decided that, for whatever reason, they've got to call the herd. They've got to, We're nothing more than a, a, a bunch of cattle. Okay? Visualize us being cattle. We have issues. I mean, the human race has had issues for years. But let's say that they've decided that, well, you know, we don't need all these people. And, you know, they're putting a strain on resources and doing this, that, and the other thing. And they say, okay, we're going to reduce the population by a certain amount in order to, say, make room for another group of people that maybe want to come in, another group of aliens or whatever. And so they go through and they go through this whole process with, leaders of governments, leaders of the United Nations or whatever, and they decide, okay, we're going to allow you to do this. You've got to make it happen. 
Otherwise, we'll do it for you. And that might be messy. So let's say that they, they come up with, uh, Rand Corporation comes up with a, a study, 1966, let's say. And let's say that they were looking at world population issues such as famines that were engulfing Africa, Saharan Africa or whatever. And they said, okay, the population right now is about 3 billion people, uh, but we think that the optimum population for the entire world might be 500 million. And they come up and say, because of food supplies, and then they push, the government says, okay, well, let's see if we can increase our food supply. And they come up with GMOs. GMOs didn't happen in a vacuum. And there was a lot of government participation for to, to create more corn to feed the starving masses. And they went on with that. And then there were other props. Now they were able to get the population up to, what, seven and a half billion people now. All of a sudden, a number just came out. Somebody said, you know, the optimum number now would be probably be about 800 million. Who's coming up with those numbers? Or why would they be looking at that if it was a question of uh, increasing food supplies or doing other things? Let's say that the aliens are, are the ones that are pushing a, you know, for some type of solution. Well, you have governments right now. You have people in governments that will sell their own mother for a dime. And, you know, well, what's a couple hundred million people? It's you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would E.T., if E.T. exists, care what we do? Oh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that a possible solution or a possible look might be that there is a, a, an alien component. Uh, let's say for, for arguments purposes, there are 56 or 57 different varieties of aliens that have visited the, or are visiting the, the earth. Some are good, some are bad, some don't give don't care one way or the other. But there's all there's all types of potential um, uh, threats or power plays or whatever you might want to say. And who is making those power plays? Well, it's not you and I. We're not doing it. But somebody may be doing it, right? Well, I just think here that's a pretty drastic thing to get rid of 7 billion people. That, that study that says that is, that is what needs to be done was actually used as part of the Rio Accords. And the Rio Accords, of course, became Agenda 21. Now it's Agenda 2035. This is not anything new. And it's, Agenda it's who? It's all been out on whoa, the Whoa, 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 whoa. Agenda who what? Agenda 21 came out of the Rio Accords. There were two or three studies that went into the Rio Accords. One of them was that Rand Corporation study of 1966. Interestingly, the number on the Georgia Guidestone, 500 million was the optimum number for the world. 55 million is for the United States. And if you look at the UN map, the UN map had everything reduced to seven population centers in the United States. And they did this country by country. This is not are you referring new. to the, making, are up. you referring to the Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit back in 1992? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and just wanted where, to clarify. Uh, okay, you have to understand the Agenda 21 was a treaty. And that treaty, in order to get a treaty through, they had to get ratification and all that good stuff. Well, what happened was here in New Jersey, we came up with something in the early 90s, 
uh, right after 92, it was called Smart Growth. And the Smart Growth program was based upon a DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection, map. Wrong solution, wrong reason and everything else, but it was easy, it was there. They used that and they came up with a concept that was called a cross-acceptance plan. I'm on planning boards. I mean, I've known about this stuff recently, even though it took place early on. And But basically what it was, each town every 10 years or whatever has to go through and update its master plan. But what they've done back in the 90s, they said, okay, well, your master plan is no longer going to be sufficient. Now what we need to do is do cross-acceptance by all the towns that, that abut your town. They have to accept your master plan just like you have to accept theirs. And that has to be done for in here in New Jersey. It was 567 towns, okay? 567 towns. Once they went through that cross-acceptance, that basically they ratified. That means the state actually signed its name to the Agenda 21 treaty. Now all 50 states have gone through similar programs along with seven territories. The only thing needed now is a simple majority vote by the U.S. Senate. Everything else is done. But once that happens, that means you sign on to all of the, the, the constructs that fall within that agenda. That's the reason right now, the big thing, the, the agenda 2035, go and Google it. Go out and look and see what the U.N. has going on. We will look at what's going to happen in our next segment with Joe, Gene, and Tim. You're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Folks, looks like food shortages are here and going to stick around. Supply chains are breaking down, and inflation is back with a vengeance. It's all part of the shortage economy. What used to be unthinkable is now in the headlines. Are you ready? Do you currently have a stockpile of emergency food at home? If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com today, and you'll find an emergency food kit that's right for you and your family. My Patriot Supply is the largest preparedness company in America, serving millions of families like yours. Pick up a three-month food kit that stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage. The meals in the kit provide over 2,000 delicious calories a day. That's important when you need to survive. Order from MyPatriotSupply.com and your food will ship fast in unmarked boxes to protect your privacy. 
Don't wait for permission or more empty store shelves. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com now. MyPatriotSupply.com Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Investors, listen up. There's been incredible demand in the market for companies focused on strategic mineral exploration. And right now, mineral discovery groups are piling into British Columbia's prolific golden triangle due to the massive discovery potential. China's economy is slowing down. Consumer goods remain in short supply. Pandemic-induced disruptions continue to affect global supply chains. And now the markets are bracing for interest rate hikes. All of this reads like a recipe for paying attention to companies focused on precious metals and in-demand minerals. Find out about the hottest companies leading the charge to revolutionize the multi-billion dollar mineral exploration market for free when you text the word HOT to 71441 for your free subscription to DearWallStreet.com. Text the word HOT to 71441 now to get information on these hot companies that we've identified. Get free intelligence on this hot market delivered directly to your mobile device from DearWallStreet.com when you text the word HOT to 71441. Text and data rates may apply. Text HOT to 71441. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Well, all these plans. Of course, when we talk, Joe Foster, about the U.S. Senate approving anything with its present composition, if it's not bipartisan, which, of course, nowadays is a dirty word, do you really think it would pass? Here's my greatest concern. My greatest concern is that nobody reads the bills that they sign. And that's both sides. This is bipartisan. Sometimes the bills are just too big. If you have 2,600 pages, are you going to read each and every one of those? Or do you rely on a clerk? Or you just say, the heck with it, I'm going to sign off on it because somebody else said it's a good bill. And that's the problem because we are getting so much bad legislation because people are not paying attention. And that's the same with the Agenda 21. That was snookered through. Nobody knew about this about four or five years after it all happened. That's how these things go through. And my concern is that, you know, a lot of good people down in Washington, I, I make statements from time to time, but for the most part, I think they most of them want to be down there for the right reasons. They just don't have the bandwidth to be able to accomplish what they really need to accomplish on our behalf. That becomes problematic. By the way, folks, if you're wondering about Agenda 21, it is, according to Wikipedia, a non-binding action plan of the United Nations with regards to sustainable development. Hmm. Just wonder why 
E.T. would care about us. They could, of course, take the tack that was used in the original film, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the one with Michael Rennie from 1951. And he said, you get your acts together, Earth people, in so many words, or we'll just take you out. And if we're going to reduce the population here to hundreds of millions from billions, you'd have to take out most of the population in order to do it or take them away, which is kind of a massive moving project. That's one question I'll ask, and we hope to continue with Joe on after the PowerCast, part of the PowerCast Plus this week. And that is, if someone from out there, a race from out there, wants us to reduce our population to a fraction of what it is now, how do you take it out without destroying the planet? Well, you could look at it this way, the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Pandemics and disease has been with us since the beginning of time. Whether it has been promoted by human action at some point, yeah, actually, absolutely it has. Blankets impregnated with smallpox wipes out large portions of Native American populations. There's been all types of rumors even about the the Black Plague and, and, and so on. Can it be done intentionally? Yeah, you can bet you, you, you best believe it. Project Paperclip. Everybody thinks about, you know, Warner von Braun and Willie Lee and, and the folks, that, the engineers and scientists that came over that built our space program for us. But you know something? There were a lot of medical people that came over too that worked with Dr. Mengele. Matter of fact, there on Long Island, you had Plum Island. Plum Island is a class, well, the, the category or class five bio lab specializing in animal. There was work there that was being done by Project Paperclip people. Even to the fact about the um, COVID-19, I saw one interesting report that showed that DARPA had 980 different variants sitting on the shelf. They wouldn't do anything with it, but that doesn't mean somebody else wouldn't or didn't or may be doing it right now. The number of deaths as of the time we do this show from COVID-19 worldwide is 5.27 million, which is quite a number. But it's not like several billion. The havoc that would be caused by hundreds of millions dying, forgetting billions, would be impossible to calculate. Yeah, but let's say for argument's purposes, you didn't do it immediately. Suppose you did over 20 or 30 years. How noticeable would it be? Or, you know, there's so many different things that are happening or could conceivably happen. That it's very hard to stay on top of everything unless it happens immediately. You know, I'm not saying this is happening, but I'm saying don't rule anything out. I mean, anything is possible. Well, it's a question of practicality. If you really want to cull the population of so many millions or billions of people, you think, where do you bury them? Where do you place them? How do you convey this impression? Because we're talking about COVID showing up at the end of 2019. That's why it's called COVID-19. And now as we do the show, it's two years later. We have 5.27 million. Now, if we continue that way, it would take 20 years to make it over 50 million. So if we're going to have this gradual phase out of the human population, number one, you probably would have to sterilize most people so they wouldn't have children. That would be one other way of reducing the population. But it would take maybe a couple of generations. But one way would be to cause worldwide 
sterilization of some sort. I mean, I, obviously mm-hmm. people would complain. It wouldn't be something they'd accept. But I'm just throwing ideas out there if they want to do something like this. Obviously, this is not something that is beyond the point of speculation at this point, that something this drastic could occur or that anyone would seriously think of enforcing it. We have just a couple of minutes worth before we go on to our premium show, Joe. Would you like to summarize Mm -hmm. where we've gone so far? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think what we're doing, I think we're scratching the surface. I think that just about every aspect of what we've been talking about the breadth and depth is much greater than I think we all realize. And again, even to the point where, you know, if you want to sit there and say, what is the cause and effect? What is the rationale? Uh, is there a rationale? And is this something beyond the scope of our understanding at this point in time? I wouldn't have to say, yeah, it probably is. Is that necessarily bad? No, not necessarily. Because it's something that what I like is that we're forced to think sometimes about things that we don't want to think. And sometimes, you know, just the thinking of it negates the fact that, you know, it may be in fact true. Sometimes things can't stand the light of day. And that means, you know, you have to keep them out. You have to hold them in the light where they won't do you any harm. So I think that it's all good. I, I think it's all good stuff. Ultimately that, you know, we are talking about it. We're, we're able to sit here and have a conversation about things like this, the UFO aspect, the geopolitical aspect, whatever. And I think that's good. When we can't do that anymore, then we've got problems. Hey, Joe Foster, please tell our listeners if they mm-hmm. want to know more about the things you do. Do you have a website or some publications they could check out? Yeah, I do. Uh, the website is millenniumoss.com. H-T-T-P-S, www.millennium, M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-U-M-O-S-S dot com. You go out there and you'll see that, um, you know, I have presentations. I have uh, uh, some conference information that's up, um, uploaded there and my contact information as well. Well, we'll check out the site and we're going to have, by the way, Further discussions with Joe Foster on After the Paracast this week. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. Check the Paracast on Facebook, but don't use our URL because for some reason it doesn't work because Facebook is doing funky things. But then those of you who have checked out Facebook lately, it's doing more and more funky things. We can do a show or two on that, but not on this kind of show, I guess. Now you can also get... Branded merchandise for Paracast listeners at the Paracast.shop, the Paracast.shop. We have four different logos. We have the usual range of T-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and everything. The Paracast.shop. Don't know if you can get it by Christmas or not, but place your order as soon as you can. We also have the Paracast Plus, where we offer a special version of this show with better audio free of the network ads, and we also include the After the Paracast podcast, uncensored, you never know what will happen next, and we're starting to include special classic interviews from Bob Zanotti, our staff announcer, including interviews with Gray Barker, we'll have some Ivan Sanderson interviews coming up shortly. Check out the Paracast.plus 
with the coupon code UFO20. That's UFO20. We give you a 20% discount on lifetime or five-year subscriptions to Paracast Optimum Plus. Joe Foster, this is the beginning of a long conversation. Thank you for joining us on the Paracast. It's a pleasure being here. Look forward to talking with you again. Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. 